It's time for the Believer, Unbeliever, and In-Betweener podcast. Join in on the conversation as three friends discuss socially relevant topics in view of biblical truth, where scripture meets skepticism. Welcome your hosts, Stephanie, Michelle, and Cheryl. Okay, so we're really excited to have with us now Johnny Law. So Cheryl, would you do us the honor of welcoming your friend Johnny? Sure. This is my friend Johnny Law that we go way back when we lived in San Francisco together. So my friend Johnny is a 32nd degree Freemason. He's been an active Mason for 10 years in the state of California. And he also holds dual membership in the state of Maryland as well. And he's a member of both the York and Scottish Rite. Hi, Johnny. Hey, Cheryl. Good to hear your voice. <laughs> and welcome, Johnny, to the show. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the reasons we were inspired to even do this show was because Michelle, being a host on the show, um, has her father who is a Mason. So that was kind of one of the reasons that we were inspired to even do this topic. So the first question we have is how would you describe Freemasonry? So Freemasonry is a system of morality veiled in allegory. And, symbol, and, and uses symbols to communicate that. So I'll break that down into three parts. So it's a system of morality, meaning it is just a vehicle. You could take the Boy Scouts, for example. Freemasonry does not hold any sort of authority on morality. It just restrengthens those fundamental truths like the golden rule that we find in many different organizations like the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. So it's just a system of of how to be a better person in life, how to be a lawful citizen, how to contribute and be a better, whether it's a husband, a friend, um, person in society. And we use allegories, which are stories, to communicate those things. Same thing as like if we were children and we learned about stories on, you know, why it's important to be a good person. So they just use stories to convey certain truths and then we particularly use stonemason uh, symbols, things like the plum, like a, a stonemason's plum or a level, or like the stonemason's square. Like if you've ever heard of the phrase of, I'm gonna give you a square deal, that comes yeah. directly from Freemasonry, which means I'm gonna be honest and be truthful. So right. it's simply a vehicle that I've personally gravitated to to help me be a better person. And there's certainly many other organizations that do that as well, whether you find that in the Boy Scouts, I was a Boy Scout when I was younger, or let's say you wanna join the Lions Club, or let's say your university. You know, I was also a member of the Corps of Cadets at Virginia Tech. And so that was certainly a institution that taught certain moral teachings. But so Freemasonry, nor does any other group have the authority on what it means to be a good person. There are three types of Freemasonry that exist in the world today. One type, which is the largest branch, is a male-only Freemasonry. There is also a female Freemasonry group, and then there is also what's called co-masonry, which is a mixture of men and female. So now, is the female division of Freemasonry, is, is it called something? It's called female Freemasonry. So that's it. It's, it doesn't have a different name. Okay. Yeah, well, you thank can, you. That, that was good to... Yeah, the, the strongest one comes out of England. And then there's also a female Belgian one that has lodges in the United States. There are three of them. One is in New York, one is in D.C., and one is in Los Angeles. 
and they are like any organization they 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 exist they are they are a female fraternal organization they use the similar symbolism i don't know exactly what goes on in their meetings or how they differ or they're exactly the same but there is a female freemasonry group out there excellent excellent um, I did want to add one thing to kind of add some um, human characteristic to the question of how would you describe Freemasonry? And I want to do it because uh, just, just this past Wednesday, I was at a Masonic event uh, from my lodge here in Oakland, Academia Lodge, uh, number 847. And it was simply a dinner. It was a formal dinner where we all came together and there was a particular topic being talked about. Um, we were sharing information, and as I was sitting there at dinner, I looked around the table, and I saw men of varying backgrounds of whether they were a mechanic, a school mm -hmm. teacher, a college professor, a person who's 80 years old and who has maybe some um, disabilities. I looked to my left and a person of a different ethnic background than myself, and we're all sitting there coming together from all these different walks of life. And if it wasn't for this particular organization that I've chosen to join, I wouldn't have had that experience. And I'm looking at men who are so diverse externally, but the internal, we all have a certain love for um, being a lawful citizen, uh, being a person who tries hard in society. And to me, that's how I would really describe Freemasonry. What are the requirements of, uh, for becoming a Mason? Is there like a requirement or can anybody just join? So for both the jurisdictions of Maryland and California, the at least for the male only, so again, I can't speak to co-Masonry, nor can I speak to female Freemasonry, but for male only Freemasonry in the state of Maryland and California, the requirements are that a person must be a male, okay? Yeah. Second one is that they must have a belief in a supreme being and how he decides to define that is up to the individual. We take people of all different faiths, okay? Must be of lawful age. And so in these two states, that actually means uh, maybe 21. Okay. Unless in the state of Maryland, they still allow, if you were a demolay, which is kind of like the Boy Scout version of Freemasonry for um, teens, um, you, you could come in at 18 in the state of Maryland that you must have a belief in the afterlife. Yep. That, okay. that, that, that's what I understood too. Yep. Those, those, those are the four requirements. Now, generally the process is no different than um, anything else. Now I was influenced because I grew up in DC. So there is a lot of history and I love history. And so growing up in DC and growing up in Alexandria, where the George Washington Masonic Temple is, so George Washington, our first president, was a, a Freemason, who was an active Freemason, and so there is a memorial to him, to our first president, and also to probably the most um, uh, famous American Freemason. So growing up in, in that environment, to me, it was something to aspire to. And when I moved to California, some of the mentors that I met happened to be a Mason. And so it kind of came full circle. And so I was always interested in Freemasonry. I understood the historical impact, other famous Freemasons throughout the years. 
And so I simply inquired. And like organization, I got to know the, the lodge that my mentor was a member of. And they explained to me what the process would look like. And, and then I had to ask. Masons do not recruit. One of your questions in, in here is about recruitment. Yeah. Masons do not recruit whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, but if a, if a person who meets those qualifications wants to join, then they will, they will go through the process. And then, yes, they, they have to go through a vetting process. They have to be, go through a background check here in the state of California and Maryland. Um, and then they have to be voted on by the lodge. It has to be a unanimous vote. And that is really uh, kind of it in terms of it. And then you will go through a series of different degrees, which is to impart on you simple uh, moral truths that are persistent in all society and just being a good citizen. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Johnny, for that. Since you brought up Washington and you brought up George Washington, you know, we do want to ask about American presidents being Masons. We, we understand that most of them, I don't know if all of them, but most of them are Freemasons. Um, we're just curious what you guys understand about that. And is Donald Trump a Freemason, if you know that? And maybe explain a little bit about Washington, D.C. and its connection to Freemasonry and the way it's designed. So in terms of the majority of presidents are Freemason is absolutely false. Okay. So there are approximately, I think, between 12 and 14 who were. So we have 45 presidents. Um, so that's certainly not the majority. That is a significant number that would equal the same number of presidents who came from the Commonwealth of Virginia. So Virginia is considered the president state. A vast majority of presidents have come from Virginia. And I think also um, there's one other state where they, they tie. So the same number in terms of that. Um, the presidents were George Washington, Monroe, Jackson, Polk, Buchanan, Johnson, Garfield, McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt, William Taft, Hardy. Um, Donald Trump is not a Freemason. There is absolutely zero records of him being a Mason whatsoever, okay? Uh, nor was President Obama, nor was George Bush. Um, they were not Freemasons, okay? Here's the thing, again, Masonry is just a system, it's a vehicle, okay? Now, in terms of this, first off, the state with the most number of Masons is Pennsylvania. You can look up these stats, okay? They're, they're factual information. Uh, Texas and then California would be, then, um, would, would be in the top five and all. New York has a significant number as well. So, but when you look at the most number of Freemasons, they act in terms of the actual number, Pennsylvania has the largest roster. That's just factual, okay? And that's, that is certainly at the Mason-Dixon line and above. Uh, Texas has a big one because it's a large state. California is a large one because obviously we're a large populous state as well. This idea of that somehow our membership gets us out of things, um, that's absolutely not true. Now, what a, like if a police officer pulled me over and saw that I'm a Mason, um, whether or not he or she makes a decision on that, she could have been a Job's daughter or a Rainbow's girl, which is the youth order groups. I have no idea what goes in their head. I have, they wouldn't even acknowledge that they were another um, to that. They, they might like my car. They might like the fact that I have a San Francisco 49ers uh, bumper sticker. That is not something that, that goes through. If anything, 
we hold each other to a higher standard. And in fact, we are supposed to be law-abiding citizens. On a monthly basis, I will get a communication from, it's recently happened three times with Maryland, where a Mason was found guilty of a crime and he was essentially excommunicated from the fraternity. If you break a law, you are kicked out of the fraternity. And while you might have been privy and been a Mason, you are no longer allowed to participate in any sort of Masonic events. You can't go to lodge. Um, and I don't even know if, and, and also your lodge would not give you Masonic, um, uh, the Masonic burial ceremony that we are all entitled to. So that would not be sanctioned by the lodge. Now, whether or not a couple of brothers did it on their own, I mean, everybody has free will, but it would never be sanctioned by the lodge. So if you break the law and if you're a bad person, you are held to a higher standard and what you do in civic life will affect your Masonic membership. Um, but can you kind of just take a moment to explain the different degrees to someone who doesn't understand Masonry and and what is the big cutoff? Like what's the big difference between let's say 32nd degree Mason and then the 33rd degree Mason? Because there seems yeah, to be a sort of, big number. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sort of seems yeah. like the 33rd degree Mason you must be invited to and it's it's this like exclusive right. order. Like it's like so, the difference between coach and first class. <laughs> yeah, like can you give us some uh, clarity on that? Right. So for the person hearing, I mean, it probably won't make a lot of sense. Um, at the end of the day, there are only three degrees in Freemasonry. That is the Entered Apprentice, Fellow Craft, and Master Mason. There is only three degrees in Freemasonry. There are what's called appendant bodies, okay, which is the Scottish Rite, the York Rite, and the Shriners. Okay. In the York Rite, there are three subgroups, which is the Knights Templar, there is the Royal Arch Masons, and then there is also the Cryptic Masons, or called, or in some states they call it the Royal and Select uh, Masters. In the United Kingdom, there's also a Mark Master um, body, but that in, in America, we put that in the Royal Arch, okay? These appendant bodies do not make you more superior as a Mason. They are just a furthering of the three allegorical stories that are conveyed in the first three degrees. They just go a little bit, they expand more on those three degrees. Okay. So in Freemason, there's only three degrees. There's these appendant bodies. You can think of them as, the best way to think of them is, think of them as like honorary degrees. I was hoping, Johnny, um, you said earlier that that no one gets recruited, but Stephanie, you had mentioned before to me that that you know someone that you know a, a limo pulled up and yeah they were trying to literally recruit reach out to him everything about their family and yeah. I want to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, I my hairdresser was dating someone who was young. I mean, he was a, like in his twenties. He was a young man. And she was telling me that he was approached by Masons, inviting him to come to one of their meetings because he was part of some sort of bloodline. And they sent a limo to pick him up and he did go to one of the meetings, but then he ultimately decided not to continue. Have you ever heard of things like that? No. Um, so what they're, we will have like, so I can tell you in my lodge, we will have 
information nights that are open to the public. You could, you know, and so you could bring, um, so they're open to the public. So male, female, you know, people who don't identify themselves by gender, they could show up and it's an informational session about what Freemasonry is. No different than what we're doing here. Okay. Yeah. And so there will be lodges that will have information nights that will let people know what Freemasonry is. If it's of interest to them and they want to learn more, especially how do they join, we will talk about what does the member, like what does that process look like? Just like I said at the beginning of this conversation, just like somebody who might be listening says like, oh, all I gotta do is contact my local Grand Lodge, which is your state Grand Lodge, tell them you're interested in learning more about Freemasonry. They will identify maybe uh, three lodges that are local to a person's um, uh, geography or where they reside. And then they will, you'll contact the secretary of that lodge and say, is there an evening that's appropriate for the public? Now, do and you have to know someone to... No, no you don't. Be, okay. You don't have to okay. know someone, but you have to know how to, con like, so like I just described. Yeah. Like, like I happened to run across a mentor and then I happened to see on his hand that he was a Freemason. And because I grew up in DC, I had some knowledge about what that meant. That's all. Yeah. Now, let's say if I was watching a Dan Brown movie and I was like, this seems pretty cool, you know, or let's say I was watching National Treasures, which is, has a lot of Masonic yeah. um, um, storylines. Yep. So I would contact the local Grand Lodge. I would say, okay, type in Grand Lodge of California. And I would say, hey, I'm interested in learning what you guys are all about. They would then refer me to the local lodges and say, feel free to contact this person to go see if this is a group of men that you would enjoy hanging out with. Can I ask a silly question? Is there, is who monitors um, this, this, the Masons? Like, is there like a, no, there's no, not, every state has their own governing body. So every state is think of every state here in America hmm. as its own Masonic country. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I am behold, I'm beholden to the Grand Lodge of California and to Maryland. I have dual membership, and those are the two jurisdictions so that I'm, I'm uh, accountable to. So I have a, uh, you know, because the reason why I asked that is, you know, I can go on YouTube and, and you know, like, and tomorrow we're going to be talking to like ex-Masons and they have a totally different outlook or belief of what the Masons are. And it's very dark and it's very scary. And I'm wondering, is, could it be possible since there's no like real like governing uh, person to monitor, could yeah. that be like a spinoff, like uh, somebody who is a bad seed that well, is a no, Mason? No, no, I wouldn't say anybody's, listen, everybody's personal journey is their own personal journey. Let me, mm -hmm. let me convey it like this. So will you find Masons who had a bad experience? Absolutely. I can go through my 10 years of Masonic career and I can tell you there's times when brothers frustrated me. You mm -hmm. know, when you put a group of human beings together, there's going to be uh, drama, there's going to be great moments, and then there's going to be low moments, but such is life. So why don't we jump to the topic of symbols? And, and you disclosed earlier that Freemasonry employs the use of symbols to communicate. And I know that this is something a lot of people talk about, like what are the meanings of all these different symbols? So if we asked you to explain, let's say, 
the compass and the G, right? I mean, that's probably one of the most iconic symbols that when people think of Freemasonry, they probably conjure up the image of that symbol, the compass with the G, right? Um, the all-seeing eye, things like that. Can you speak to your understanding of what some of those symbols mean to yeah. you? So like any good symbol, right? Symbol has multiple meanings. Would you agree? It can, sure. Yeah. Like when we look at emojis all the time, right? Those are symbols. Sure. Correct? Mm -hmm. So when we look at them, like if somebody had a, um, uh, the kiss emoji, right? It could be convey either flirtation. It could convey sarcasm. It could convey a lot of different things, right? It, and it's based on the way it's used in its context, right? Right. So Freemasonry will do that as well as that the symbol, and again, we use stonemason symbols. So uh, things like the stonemason square, okay? Uh, what do stonemasons use a square for, like in building? Foundation? They, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, foundation. So yeah, exactly. Like they, what they call the cornerstone. The first uh, brick of any building is called the cornerstone, right? And right. when they set that first brick, it is absolutely vitally important that that first brick gets set square and true. Okay. So think of like, um, in a relationship, you know, what's the cornerstone of a relationship be trust, right? Trust. Okay. Trust communication. If that is somehow not set correctly, or let's say, um, you met a person on a lie or they, you know, in the very beginning, that relationship would not have a solid foundation. It would crumble. You know, all your friends around you would say, nope, this will, this will last maybe a month at max. Yep. Same thing with you yeah. build a house or you build a, um, or any, any sort of structure. If that first cornerstone isn't set correctly, it will crumble. So the symbolism of the cornerstone is about doing things correctly, taking the time, double check your work, really measure it, right? That's, that's what the cornerstone represents in Freemasonry, mm. okay? Yeah. And so there's even a, a ritual, a public ritual that we will do. Like if a brand new public school building is being built, they might invite the Masons to do a cornerstone lane ceremony. Uh, my father who lives in Virginia Beach, his church was, um, they have a cornerstone. So they put a little plaque um, and it was dedicated a hundred years ago. And so they actually, and they put a little time capsule in that first cornerstone. And so they actually opened it up on the 100th anniversary of his church there in Virginia Beach. And so me being a Mason, I said, oh, you should get the local chapter to rededicate the cornerstone. And so they came out and did a public ceremony that was done by the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, and it was in the newspaper and all that great stuff. So, and the whole idea was just, was talking about the importance and the symbolism of what the cornerstone means, not just for a building, but for people's life. So while you were there, whether you're a Mason or just a public audience, you have a chance to reflect upon, are you properly setting correct cornerstones in your job, in your relationship with your children, in uh, your particular faith, um, in, in a relationship? So that's an idea of symbolism in Freemasonry. And again, Freemasonry is a system of morality veiled in allegory or stories and illustrated by symbols mm, or emotions. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, that was very well articulated. Thank you, Johnny. Mm -hmm. um, 
So what does the compass with the G mean? So G stands for two things. It, it means God, which is the center of every Freemason's um, life. And whether that God takes on the form of Allah, Yahweh, Elohim, Christ, whatever that is, it's meant to be universal. But it also represents geometry. So when you look at, you know, you, you, anytime we watch a sci-fi movie, right, they say, what's the universal language? And they say mathematics, right? Mm -hmm. So if there was a universal language, geometry or, or math is also the way God would communicate it to the entire universe, right? If you had to choose one language, you know, when we send information into space, we don't send um, English, we send bits, zeros and ones, zeros and ones, right? We send diagrams, we, we send these, you know, this means yes, this means no, like, you know, it's binary. So um, geometry and God is generally what it stands for, um, at least in Freemasonry. Now in other parts, like in uh, England, they don't have the, the letter G in the square and compass. Their symbol hmm. is just the square with the, the, square with the compass. Hmm. It's without the G. Um, so just here in America, we, we purposely put in that G for that. Um, some other places they'll put just the all seen eye, but it's to represent again, this idea of deity. Okay. Well, that probably answers the next question. So the all seeing eye that people see like on the back of the dollar bill, um, what, yeah. what does that mean in Freemasonry? But I think you may have just answered it. But. Yeah. I mean, and also remember that symbol has been used by other faiths. Um, sure. for a long time, whether you go to Egyptian and the eye of, Hor you know, Horus, or whether you look at a cathedral and you will find it's called the eye of Providence. Yep. You know, um, I have a, a tattoo where I have that symbol on it. Yes. Because one, I'm a Mason, but I use it because it, to me, it symbolizes God watching over my back because that's where it's placed. So no matter what, you know, I'm looking forward, I can see what's coming at me, but I also know that God has my back and God's looking over my back, you know? Um, and so for me, that's what it means. Um, in the Mediterranean culture, they have, um, you know, that blue eye that you see in a lot of doors if you go to restaurants or, or different people's homes who live in the Mediterranean, whether they're Greek, Israeli, um, Moroccan, you know, so it's not just one particular faith. So yep. the all-seeing eye has been used in multiple different cultures and faiths and some version of it. So in Freemasonry, it symbolizes omnipotent of God, the om omnipresence of God. That's all that God is always watching. So like okay. if I know God's watching, then it, it, it calls me to measure my actions that I will be, um, there'll be an accounting for yeah. at, at the end of my life that, you know, what I do, just like, you know, when I wear a Masonic ring and all of a sudden if I'm out and I'm losing my cool with somebody, I go, wait a minute, maybe I should calm down because I represent, not only do I look at my ring and I remember the teachings, but also other people saying, oh, you're supposed to be a Mason. You know, um, my car has a square and compass on it. I kind of drive a little bit fast. And many times when I'm, when I'm driving, I'm like, how many people probably saw that square and compass and maybe said, oh, you know, thought something negative. So it might, it might remind me to maybe to slow it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know? yeah. Well, I would say that that's pretty congruent with um, what my understanding was in terms of the meaning of those symbols. Um, 
Is there maybe another symbol that maybe we're not familiar with that you could share with us that's a Freemasonic symbol and what it means? So for me, one of my favorite symbols is what we call the Masonic pavement. Have you ever been into a floor and you see the black and white checkers on a, on a floor? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Many buildings are like that. So that's, that's what we call Masonic pavement. Okay. And all it's trying to reflect is that there are uh, white and dark and not, not that one is good or bad. There's just times and moments. So like there's been times in my life when I've been, um, operating from the negative, whether Debbie Downer or whether I was rude, but then it gave a chance for a person to bring out their, their light, to calm me, to offer me counsel, to um, take a stand for me, right? There's been times that where I've gotten to be the, the white, you know, whether it's to um, do the same thing, you know, be a friend. Um, Cheryl, you've seen me in both things. You know, I went through a divorce. Oh, um, yeah. Right? You've seen me where I've been this great Johnny Law, and then you've seen the version where you're like, yeah, you're acting kind of like a jerk, you know? <laughs> um, and I really like that because to me, that symbol has helped me in my life and in Freemasonry that we all contain within us both light and dark energy, you know? And the dark outlines the oh, light. Yeah, just like the light can sometimes vanquish the dark. You know, a single candle in a, in, a, in, a, in a dark room can vanquish the dark. But in the same way, the dark outlines the light. So it's like there's this balance. And you find it also in the yin-yang um, symbolism. You find it in Christianity. You find it in Islam. Again, these are, again, universal truths that are prevalent. And, heck, you even find it in the Boy Scouts. You know, you find it in... Um, um, you know, in, in chess, you know, people could create symbolism out of the game of chess if they would like. Um, yeah, th that's like speaking to duality. If, yeah. And I'm, and the I'm also, I'm also a Gemini. So Gemini's we, we, we get, um, we get excited over duality and juxtapositions yeah. of different uh, concepts. Yeah. Yeah. I, my background is in new age. I came, I came out of the new age and that was really a foundational, uh, principle in the new age. Sure. Yep. Exactly. Balancing, so, balancing out the negative, the, 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 the dark and the light within one and, and reconciling those two and embracing both. And yeah. 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 But, that, didn't that black and white floor thing come up in your research with like a different, a different definition of why? No, um, no duality. The uh, Masonic pavement, the black and white represents duality. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. The balancing, yeah. the balancing of dark and light. So I would, I would agree with what Johnny is saying. That, that that, that, that's cool. congruent with my understanding of it. Yeah. That sounds cool. Um, I have another question though, kind of about religion. Um, I know we talked a little bit about the, you know, Christianity and doesn't matter what religion, it could be Hindu, Buddhism. I'm just curious because I heard this a long time ago. I, I'm just kind of curious to know if this is true, you know, about Catholicism. Um, at one time, did the Pope forbid Christians to be a Mason? Was it, is it, it's, was it's that, still, it's oh, still, a good question, Michelle. Oh, sh yeah. With within the um, so Masons have no problem with Catholics. Okay, I have um, in my lodge. I have Masons who are Catholics, um, brothers who are Catholic of the Catholic faith. We have absolutely zero issue with we again like like I said we respect all faiths. Yeah, we respect all faiths, and each individual Mason should um, practice um, his own personal faith. 
within Catholicism, there is still an active uh, decree or papal bull or whatever. I, I don't know the correct terminology. I'm not a, I'm not a Catholic, um, but there is still something on their books that that does um, prohibit their members from being mm. a Mason. And in fact, the formation of the um, of the uh, Knights of Columbus was done as a alternative because um, back in the days, my understanding is that because there were so many men who were joining Freemasonry as, as a fraternal organization, the Catholics created the Knights of Columbus to give them an alternative mm, from Freemasonry. Okay. So, so, that, so that was form, formulated. Mm. I don't know the exact year, but uh, and I, so correct me if I'm wrong, but my, I want to say maybe the, the, the thirties or forties or fifties, kind of like in those times when movies were in black and white mm. type, type thing. So it's safe to say that the, the Pope is not a Mason. <laughs> it's safe to say that, right? There is no Masonic record of the Pope <laughs> okay. being a Mason. Okay. Yeah. Actually, my understanding is that there's a actual very close link and connection with the Pope, the Vatican and Freemasonry. So I, I no. think it's, it's, it's the opposite that they're not, they don't shun Catholicism. They embrace it. Uh, well, Freemasons embrace people of all faiths. Of all faiths, exactly. That's what, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't. Yeah. Except, but, I, I guess we can say the only. Going back to your require the the requirements, you can't be an atheist and be a Freemason. Is that correct? Not in. So there is a French separate than mine than the Freemason that I belong to, where you could be an atheist in France. But they also have a version of my Freemason. So they have two different Grand Lodges in France. One is of what I would be. Um, would be the, the, the stream or the river of Freemasonry that I belong to. Um, but they also have female Freemasonry in there and they, and they do have a version of Masonry that is much more involved in politics as well as um, you could be an atheist in that form of Freemasonry, but it's not a Freemasonry that where I would be able to go into their lodge and vice versa. So in French Freemasonry, you could be an atheist? Is that what you're in saying? In one version of France Freemasonry, they also have the, what is my version of Freemasonry in their country. But their largest, the one with the largest numbers, they could have Masons in there that could, that could have no belief at all. And is it accurate that Freemasonry here in the United States originated in Europe and came here? Is that accurate? Is that true? Yes, that is accurate. Oftentimes we hear the word Freemasonry interchangeable with the word Illuminati. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, what is your understanding of the word Illuminati and does it have any connection with Freemasonry? Is it completely different? Like, can you just speak to what your understanding of Illuminati is? Oh. The original Illuminati that was formed was a Bulvarian group. There were, um, I believe, one of the original founders, for example, happened to be a Mason, but then created the subgroup. So, for example, the Lions Club, okay? The Lions, one of the founders of the Lions Club, which is just a service organization, was a Freemason, okay? So there was a Bulvarian group that created this group called the Illuminati that then went um, went out of business or whatever, it, it doesn't exist anymore. So since then, people have taken on this word Illuminati to really talk about like the deep state or the, this, um, 
this elitist group that's under under the scenes. It no longer it has no connection with Freemasonry, and it never did. No more than like Johnny Law started a business, um, you know, a, a private business that I registered with California, and I just happened to be a Freemason. Now, let's say my corporation all of a sudden became really big. Like, uh, for example, Ford Motor Company. For Henry Ford was a Freemason. Okay, so he was a Freemason who started a company that's become very popular. Uh, uh, the, the founder of Wendy's was a Freemason. Okay, mm-hmm. nobody's sitting there saying, "Oh, you know, t- is the reason why his hamburgers are square because of Masonic influence?" No, actually, he created a square hamburger because it was actually just more um, uh, it was more efficient in the manufacturing of it. It was it was better to actually just make it square than to round the edges. You had w- wasted meat if you yeah. look at the history of that. Um, you know, so it's it's kind of like, but did they, were these men informed somehow by their experience with Freemasonry? I don't know. You know, could I find symbolism in a square hamburger? Of course, but I could also find symbolism in a round bun. Right. You know what I mean? See, Johnny, we're thinking along the same lines here because I, I I'm taking this all from the perspective of there's nothing going on, you know, so I hear you. <laughs> I mean, I wish, I wish uh, Freemasonry was as sexy as people think it is. Okay? <laughs> uh, it would be really nice if, you know, it, it was like national treasure and every single time I was going to a Masonic's function, we were doing a, um, a treasure hunt. Trust me, right? membership would be through the roof because it'd be a lot more sexier, but it's, Again, it is, it's really an inward journey. And again, and I, I go to, you know, I participate in church and I find value in church. I participate in having coffee with you and I find value in that. I help consult people in starting businesses. I find value in that. Um, and I also find frustration in all those activities as well. Um, and I'm, I'm just an individual man, a human being, trying to do the best I can, trying to grow and learn, and trying to, trying to contribute to society as, as wherever I can, and um, enjoy life. Yeah, no harm in that, right? Um, so if I understood your question, I mean, your answer to the question about Illuminati, what I heard was they're two separate things, apples and oranges. Freemasonry and Illuminati are not the same. They're definitely not the same. Um, I've also heard that the Illuminati, as it originally was once formed, is no longer. Correct. Is that, understand that correct from your understanding. Okay. Um, and, it, and, and today's use of it just takes on kind of a info wars, deep state conspiracy way to talk about the frustration of, you know, like the G8 would be more the Illuminati if anybody wanted to talk about it, a group of people who come together and set policies that are not democratically voted upon by representative governments. You know what I mean? Like um, the heads of state come together and they set fiscal and monetary policy. To me, that's more would be considered the frustrations of people The you know, whether it's the EU or, or, you know, just that's kind of the way people want to talk about, um, a lock, a loss of control, a, a feeling of, you know, I don't have control. I feel like there's policies and things happening. I think people use this concept of hidden Illuminati, but you know, uh, the word Illuminati is supposed to mean illumination, um, illuminated whatnot, one. Yeah. but it's, it's actually, but people use it now. So it's been, um, 
you know, it's people have taken it to use something totally different now, you mm. know? So let uh, me ask you this. So um, if a Freemason says I, I was a high level Mason and as part of my journey, I was invited to join the Illuminati. What would that mean? I how would. Do, how does I, one interpret what that means? I would giggle um, and I would say, okay. I mean, I it wouldn't, it wouldn't have any neg. I mean, I've, I've been on Facebook and there is a, it's, it, it's like a multi-level marketing illuminated group where you send in $300 and they promise you they'll send you a book of all the secrets of life. You know what I mean? And they just, somebody has taken on as a, as a business opportunity, this idea of Illuminati. Okay. You can literally go on Facebook and find some weird group. Um, if somebody approached me, I wouldn't have any interest in that because I would know that their intentions were dubious, you know, because they are, are not being true because there's not that group. And, you know, what truths, what are they talking about? Now, me personally, like I'm, I happen to be a person who likes going to personal growth seminars. So I would go to a Tony Robbins course, you know what I mean? Like, cause that just is of my interest. Or let's say if I was a painter, I would take a painting class, you know? Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that if a fellow Freemason came to me and says that, that he is a member of a group that calls himself the Illuminati, I would say, okay, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't impact me. And I would just kind of, I would have no idea what they were talking about. And I would, I would, I would say, well, I hope you didn't get ripped off. And I, I, I do want to say that um, the intent of Freemasonry, okay, is to simply to make Masons, to go through our initiatic process to make a person a Freemason. In male-only Freemasonry, we take a male who is of good uh, characters, got no record, et cetera, and we just simply take him through the degrees. Um, that is the intent of Freemasonry, is what we do. Um, we, you know, when the title says, is it a philanthropic fraternal? We happen to do philanthropy. We happen to be lawful citizens. We happen to be men who have a belief in, in a higher being. But, we're, but the intent and the main purpose of Freemasonry is to make Masons. That's it. That, that is the intent. Um, there are certain lodges who are smaller. Maybe um, I belong to both a small lodge and then a very large lodge. My large lodge, we're able to write checks all the time to a group. Um, we have also tried within our lodge, because of the, the moral principles that we talk about, we have brothers who champion the idea of saying like, hey, we've got a Raising Reader event on Wednesday. Can you guys come in at eight? We're going to read some books to some children. Okay. Now, reading books is not the intent of Freemasonry. The intent of Freemason Freemasonry is to make Masons. Through that process, we decide as a collective body within our lodge to do good works. We as a Grand Lodge have taken on this California program called Raising a Readers where we will, we will actually give money. It might look very different in the state of Texas. It could look very different in Michigan um, where they take on different philanthropic things. But again, that is not the purpose of Freemasonry there. It just happens to be a byproduct of being a decent human being. And whether or not people want to view us through their lens and think that we're a satanic organization, me personally, I don't care. Like, you know, because I've chosen Freemasonry just as a vehicle for myself, just like I've chosen other vehicles. I chose Virginia Tech. I chose to be a wrestler. And I got a lot of great teachings from my wrestling coach. Um, 
the, the group of friends that I hang out with. They just happen to be a vehicle that I've chosen, you know, for a certain time in my life. I might be like Richard and I might pull back from going to lodge, you know, and I might then read, you know, get active again in my retirement age or vice versa. So these are simply just vehicles that we choose. And so how, if somebody wants to waste their time in judging this organization, I feel really sorry for you. And I would, I would like to think that you just pick a vehicle or whether it's your church or whether it's the Kiwanis, it's, uh, you know, uh, Toastmasters or any organization and you find the good in it and you find how it makes you a better person. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we're going to get the other side of the story from, well, we, we had two gentlemen, but we're down to one at this point, but, um, yeah, so I mean, we're we're open to hearing both sides, you know. Um, well, remember, it's not a. I can't speak for a side. It's not like a fifty-fifty. I can only speak from Johnny Law's. Experience. Right, you can only speak from your understanding and. Well, no, from my ex from my your experience, experience, right? From your experience, experience, from your understanding, and you know, listening to what you're saying. I mean, everything sounds fantastic and great. Um, we're just trying to explore what these other claims are that other people are having or other experiences that they're having and just kind of weigh it out for ourselves. Um, what was I going to say to you is, you know, people have talked about death oaths and I heard you say earlier that it's not an oath. It's, it's a, not. so uh, you look up the definition like, of, an, of an oath versus, so when you say, so let's say in a marriage vows, right? I would imagine some of us on here have been married before. When we did I'm our, married, yeah. mm -hmm. okay. So when you did your wedding vows, um, you talked about in sickness or health, right? That, that may have been a, some form of your wedding vows or just taking care of each other or being honorable with each other. Mm -hmm. That component is the obligation. Now, if you chose at the end of your wedding, uh, your wedding vows, your obligation, you said, so help me God, that section is the oath. That is the sealer on it. That is saying, I have, uh, my my religious belief or spiritual belief is going to keep me accountable to the promise I just made. I'm not I'm not only making it to this individual, but a belief in a higher being is my accountability coach. That's the oath part. So the obligation is what you're promising to do. So all all I ever said in my obligation was that I would keep certain ways that uh, we recognize Masons that I certainly wouldn't share it, but I don't care if you know it. So in, in Freemasonry, you guys do not use the word oaths, you use the word obligations. We take an obligation, correct. Okay, so, okay. I just, we're just trying to understand the, yeah, the, the language within the organization, so. We take, we take a commitment. We just take a okay. commitment. Um, and so in our ritual, they talk about uh, what are called penalties for violating, but they're symbolic. They're symbolic. Jumping to a different question, um, do you know what, let's say, a 33rd degree Mason knows? Or are no. there no. certain things that different, like different degrees know that other degrees don't? All they, all they're, it's like this. It's like um, when you explain algebra to, uh, let's, say, let's say you have a child, right? And you explain a certain subject, right? about like how the sun rises, right? You explain it to a child who's 10, it's age relevant, right? 
there's nothing different. But then like when you get older, you, maybe you talk about the rotation. You know, we have this, most people have a view of the solar system where it's nine planets circling or eight planets now circling the, the sun. And then all of a sudden there was a YouTube video that showed how actually the sun moves through our entire galaxy and it's and the planets follow it almost like a corkscrew. There's a great YouTube video. It's fantastic. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but our whole lives, we grew up with the elementary view of that. You've got the sun in the middle and they all kind of run around it like on, a, on the same plane. When you see it in this more graphical, you're like, whoa, that's way more mind blowing. So same topic that gets conveyed in the different degrees with a different perspective and you see it with a new appreciation. Yeah. So um, I, we understand that some Masons, I don't know if it's at different degrees, read different materials, but um, we've heard that Masons read or some Masons read Morals and Dogma by Albert Pike and the Book of the Law by Aleister Crowley. What do you know of those books and have you read them and kind of I have not a requirement, but it's like um, very few Masons I think would go into the Alistair Cloud. You're getting into now very that's that is if your interest is uh, a cult interest. But I could read um, a book about mathematics. And so in Freemasonry, they, they talk about the several several liberal arts, you know, geometry, astronomy, uh, rhetoric, things like that. So they, they talk about just having, um, being a person who's curious, you know, go seek out knowledge, go learn about the classic architecture, okay? They say that in masonry, but there's no like test or there's no- Like there's um, no required reading. There's no required reading. I became a Scottish Rite Freemason free and morals and dogma is used in America as one of the backbones in terms of Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. So that particular book for Scottish Rite Masons will be, um, um, will go through, the ritual is built on it. Um, so there's, there's a lot of that, but the Aleister Crowley thing, it has nothing to do with Freemasonry. That is, that is a, if an individual has an interest in them, you, more power to them. But in the same as an interest of you can go read about architecture. Now, morals right, and dogma. I, mean, I, I can go on Google. I can go on Amazon and buy both these books tomorrow. Absolutely. I mean, exactly. any, anybody can read them. Um, but so Freemasonry has no like textbook, would we say? Uh, we do have every single Grand Lodge has a what we call a monitor, but it's basically a okay. book of our ritual. Okay. Um, some jurisdictions will have it in uh, what we call a Masonic cipher. So basically like I could read the book, but if I handed it to you, it's just that because we took an obligation to keep certain parts of our ritual um, private, that's all. The same way that Coca-Cola keeps their recipe private. The same way that, um, you know, the, any, any, any great food company keeps certain recipes pr private, you know. You can, there are certain sections that are in plain English that you could read. Um, you know, I have my Maryland cipher out right now. There's certain charges that I could read the ones that are in Eng that are in plain printed English. I could read to you. The ones in the cipher are the ones that that particular jurisdiction um, has said that that part is just how we do our ritual. That's all. Okay. So there's a book called The Monitor that yeah. the lodges use to Just kind to of go through the, explain the rituals. 
Exactly. To be able to perform the, the, the different degrees that we have. Okay. And then you were saying that there's a cipher. So the, the monitor is written usually in a cipher for most jurisdictions. Some jurisdictions, they have everything in English. So there's nothing secretive about, about their particular thing. For Maryland and California, a vast majority of our rit ritual, when it is uh, printed, is written in a Masonic cipher that a Mason knows how to read. That's all. Okay, that makes sense. Um, it is a bunch of emojis. Like, like let's say you and your friends, um, you kind of create your own language, or like you know what the word. Like when you say, um, "How about you?" People put HBU, not, and I didn't know what that meant for the longest time. And somebody wrote that to me, and I said, "What does that mean?" You know, once <laughs> I see it now, now I'm like, "Oh, HBU means how about you?" And uh, it, yeah, see, I never even saw that one. <laughs> yeah, or like LOL. <laughs> LOL is a cipher, for example. LOL is a cipher that means laugh out loud. It's to convey a certain humorous emotion. So the California cipher is in a similar right. way. Um, when I look at certain certain words, it's a simply, it's a shorthand. That's all it is. Yeah, um, I had a question and I totally forgot it. <laughs> Cheryl, do you have some? Do you have a question? Sounds like you. No, 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 no. Yeah. Let me see. Um, um, oh, that, that's it. I wanted to just ask, why do you guys use symbolism that has to do with like stone masonry? Um. Well, for if you think about it, any um building that has lasted forever, right? And we talked about the cornerstone and how important it was to lay a stone um, down, right? Yes. It was done in stonework. So you, you look at that. You can also think about like when you, when they actually first wrote the word, right? Uh, things that persisted, it was chiseled into stone to convey information for future generations, right? Mm -hmm. uh, stone symbolically we know is, um, lasting it's hard to move it's um you know it's a solid foundation whether it's castles um cathedrals um you know pyramids we think of that now specific to freemasonry during the english time remember during the feudal system you had to get a permission slip from your lord to travel you actually could yeah, not so travel unless you did that so there was an exception amongst one particular group of people. They were the stonemasons. They didn't need a permission slip. They went from project to project, usually the cathedrals, you know, the, the, the cathedral of Catholicism. You know, you go from yeah. project after project. Um, you were, back then, you were illiterate. Um, so the only way you could prove your skills as a mason was based on uh, certain passwords or secrets, at least mm -hmm. when you showed up to a, a, a job site. They would say, well, what level of a mason are you? You know, are you this, this, or that? And so that's kind of the analogy or the stories Freemasonry has crafted upon. You know, that, oh. that as you go through life, you know, there's childhood, there's adulthood, and then there's when you're in your uh, more mature senior age, you know, so three things of life, you know, just like you have the conscious, the subconscious, the superconscious, what, you know, there's always these things about three in the Christian faith, there is the, the number three. So there's all these kind of parallels that, that happens. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. So what you're saying is the, 
reason Freemasonry uses stonemasonry symbolism has more to do with leveraging the concepts of architecture and well-built structures as a uh, reflection of life, having a well-built relationship. Yeah, I, I think I think so. I think that's why I think that's why this organization has persisted because we can find those symbolism in like, you know, whether it's um, you know you talk about building your temple or treating your body as a temple or building your life or you know we we, we live in structures. You know, we it's it's so fundamental to our survival and like our you know, the way we've evolved in terms of like, you know, the home is your castle, you know? Yeah. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think, I think just stone has persisted because, you know, um, go from the three little piggies, you know, like you look at a house made out of stone versus wood or, or, um, you know, uh, hay or whatever they, they use. I forget the story, but um, yeah. so I think that's, I think just, Freemasonry has stood the test of time simply because those symbolisms are are so universal. Uh, I'm sure there were other organizations that started and maybe they chose symbolism of a seafarer, you know, and maybe they just didn't resonate that well. But yeah. the idea of a structure just seemed to catch on and, yeah. and last throughout the ages. Yeah, we see that even in the Bible, you know, Jesus refers to himself as the cornerstone, he's the rock, you know, so we see a lot of, like you said, the temple, your body is the temple. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. Okay, so that makes more sense to us, because the three of us were saying, like, what is the difference between stone masonry and masonry, and, and, and why, why is architecture kind of something that you kind of see aligns with Freemasonry, and we were kind of wondering what that connection is, and I mean, for me now, that makes more sense. Now I get it. It's more symbolic. So now that makes more sense. It's yeah. not like you guys are going are around we, building my buildings. Dad to, no. My dad told me um, a while ago that he was saying something about, um, you know, biblical, like back in um, Solomon's day, you know, that's who he was talking about that, something about. Yeah. So the allegory stories that we you have to deal with King Solomon, who was considered the wisest man back yeah. then, you're going back to a very early period, the you know, obviously they were building things before King Solomon, you know, like the Babylonians, we just don't have that knowledge. So we didn't create a story around that. Um, but like, you know, the, whether it's the story, like Noah's story, there's a Babylonian story that is like word for word, the same story, or excuse me, Sumerian story of the flood story. So we use King Solomon in the building of his temple and the destruction, because remember, his temple was built, and then it was destroyed, and then it was rebuilt. And so, like, I can tell you in my personal life, I was going through a particular degree um, in the York Rite Masonry, where they talked about the allegory of the, the destruction of the temple and the rebuilding. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought about my, I went through a divorce, and so my temple had been destroyed. And now here I was trying to pick up the pieces of my life to rebuild, and what could I learn to make a not necessarily better but how could i create a new temple of yeah. my life and so for me it was very emotional because of where i was in my life um and so for me that's what one of the gifts that freemason me brought brought to me was during that time when i was struggling through my divorce um and just the idea of acceptance and what do i do now and my self-identity 
um, I turned to the symbolism in the York Rite that really helped me a lot from that particular moment. Now, I could have found it in other places, too. I could have found it in a personal growth seminar. I could have gone to my pastor and had something that hit me like a ton of bricks. It's just at that moment, it, it spoke to me. That's all. Sure. Yeah. Um, just like when I'm in Maui and there's literally um, watching a rainstorm and then a rainbow appear, it speaks to me. You know, it, it conveyed something to me that I made, I made meaning of. I, I created the symbol. The symbol was there, but then I made meaning of it. And I think that that's, that's all, all it really is. And I think um, if you're a person who has a belief in a supreme being, I think that my personal opinion is that God speaks to us, whether it's through a song on a radio, a bird landing on you, like, or whether you're in a sermon and you hear something very powerful taken directly from scripture. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I definitely, think, yeah. I definitely learned a lot from this uh, podcast for sure. I mean, for this episode, I, I really, yeah. learned a lot. I feel like um, my view has changed. I mean, I, I knew um, some things about Mason. Um, I knew, you know, the brotherhood and um, how you, you know, are, you know, with, you know, for each other and everything. But I think I learned a lot more. I see a lot of similarities in um, Christianity, really. I, I just see a lot of biblical truths of how to be a better person and just a better citizen and, you know, just a, 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 your meetings and how inspiring they are. Um, it almost makes me want to join. But, uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, I want to run right out now. <laughs> Let's all join. But no, but I, I definitely I uh, got a better, definitely a bigger, better understanding of, um, of being amazing i think it's great you know my dad never really shared anything with us you know growing up and um he, it was always like a secret he always said it was a secret so i never really understood it so um, yeah well to as we get ready to end this interview um i just want to say johnny it has been a pleasure to have you on i think that you have represented Freemasonry, um, as you have experienced it very well. Um, I think that anyone listening to this has learned something. Mm. Um, I, I know for me, you've clarified some finer points, uh, especially that connection with stonemasonry was always like, I wasn't really understanding the architectural perspective of that. So I think I know that really helped me. Um, yeah. And I would say, um, because we're going to be getting another gentleman on the call um, after we hang up with you, his name is Joseph. I would say that probably 90% of what you shared, he would agree with, right? He's also a master Masons, you know, so on and so forth, probably at the same level you are. Um, and from listening to his experiences, I would say a lot of this overlaps. Um, and I think that there's some information that may, may differ, a little bit and and i think we're all kind of curious and excited to hear his point of view but i would say that a lot of what you shared he he would agree with all right ladies so i i don't think we have any other questions then and we thank you for your time i think we got a a full day's worth of info here thank you johnny yeah yeah uh no problem thanks for uh being of help or thanks for allowing me to participate oh you're very welcome michelle do you want to say goodbye or yeah, uh, goodbye. Thank you so much. Good night.